me as we pray. God in heaven, our best works are powerless. We cannot satisfy your righteous requirements. So we cling to the work of Christ. We pray now for peace and understanding as we approach your word. That you have preserved it through time for today. So Spirit of God, lead us as we study now. We give you the glory and it will be for our good that we have spent time in your word. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 36. If you're new or you haven't been paying attention in some time, we go chapter by chapter, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So Pastor Jay finished with verse 35 last week. We're going to pick up with verse 36. That's just how we do things. So if you don't have a Bible with you in front of you in the pew, it's a black hardback pew Bible. 870 is the page number, top left. Trying to take away all your excuses point your faith towards God's word if you don't have a Bible that is our gift to you take it home read it cherish it love it and fall in love with the God of that Bible so let's turn our attention now family to Acts chapter 15 we begin at verse 36 this is the word of the Lord it says and after some days Paul said to Barnabas let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. There arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16 begins, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This is the word of the Lord. Here at the onset, I want to set the umbrella that I believe covers this whole passage of Scripture. I want to, it, it's one statement, but it covers all of what we're going to talk about this morning. It is this, that God is providentially working. He is at work providentially in times of conflict. Now, we have to clarify some terms. So Sometimes we want to use the word sovereignty and providence as synonyms, and they're not really. And so we're not going to pack all that sovereignty is or all that the providence of God is. That would be unfair to you. That would be unfair to me in our short amount of time. But I want to put these terms out and give you a little definition so that, so that you can hang some of the rest of this message, some of the rest of this text on it. Because my main point, and I'll say it a hundred more times, that God is providentially working. So 
in times of conflict. Now, when we say sovereignty, out of Job 42, 2, it says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We say God is a sovereign God. He is sovereign, meaning he has the right and the power. He can do whatever he wants because he is the almighty creator God. He was here before time. He created time. He created all of us. So he is the one that rules. He has the right and he has the power. He is a sovereign God. And we rejoice and we worship him in that. We celebrate that. But there's also providence. And providence, and when I say providence, I mean the wise and purposeful use of his sovereignty. God is at work. He has a purpose. And it, Isaiah 46 says, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God is providentially at work in times of conflict for the purpose of bringing about glory through his name. It's not to make you better, although that will happen. It's not to uh, refine you or, or work on you or just uh, make you feel loved and accept. No, it's about his name and glory to his name. Primary focus. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Ephesians 1, uh, we were in Ephesians for probably over a year, over and over and over, especially in the first chapter when we're finding out who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us, the beginning of that book, so rich and so good, it says over and over and over, according to his purpose, according to his will, not mine. He, he, didn't, he didn't put out a survey, he didn't look and say, hey, Chris, what do you think? Tell me, let's, let's get this straight. Nope, it's according to his purpose and his will. How can he say that? Because he's sovereign. He has the right and the power. And he uses that sovereignty in a, in a way that is wise and purposeful. But it's ultimately, Ephesians 1 tells us, to the praise of his glorious grace, over and over and over. If you open up, open up my Bible, you'll see uh, underlined and highlighted all the, all the references to his purpose and his will and to his glorious grace. Because in my flesh and in my mind, I get wrapped up in me so much pray I'm not alone in this, right? I, I get wrapped up in me so much that I lose sight of it, and so I need to highlight it, make it bold, make it jump off the page so I see it's not about me. It's about His will, His, His glorious grace, but about glorifying His name. So that's the, that's the umbrella, that God is providentially at work in times of conflict. So we're going to see some conflict. We see some conflict in, in Acts chapter 15, the latter part, and the beginning of 16. We see some conflicting thoughts here, and so we're going we're gonna to elevate them. We're going to bring them up this morning because that's our text. But here at the beginning, our text is picking up with the beginning of the second missionary journey, at least the planning of the second missionary journey. Now some of us, I've got to be careful. I could speak really clearly and plainly in the first service because I was alone. The rest of my family wasn't here. Um, some of us are good planners. We'll just use general say. Some of us are planners. Some of us think things out. Some of us have spreadsheets when you're going to go away for a couple days just because that's what good responsible adults do. And you note on there how many pairs of socks you got to have. Because in your planning, you're saying, okay, where am I going to go? Where, what am I going to do when I get there? How am I going to get there? Who am I going to take? So Jen and I are going to go away for a couple days after next weekend. 
um, we've been running kind of hard, and so we need to kind of regroup a little bit, so we're going to go away. So I've got the spreadsheet tells me I, I don't have to think about packing, right? I know how many, how many socks I need to take. I'm good. It's a sickness, I know. But the, there's another, so I don't really have a spreadsheet, I'm sorry. Um, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sickness on the other side that some of you wake up the morning of your trip and decide you've got to do laundry. That is, we don't need to point fingers, all right? <laughs> Spouses went straight to, that's him, that's her. There's a lot of planning that goes, there's a lot of planning in my mind just for a couple days away with my bride. Can you imagine having to travel in first century? First century church, Paul is going around visiting all these churches. He, want, he wants to go back and visit all the churches that he initially had already been to. He already knows the route, but it's not, it's not just, you know, pulling up Google Maps and figuring out the best route. Oh, I want to go here next and then here. There's a lot of planning that goes into it. So in verse 35, Pastor Jason left us with, they were in Antioch, and they were preaching and teaching with others. And they're kind of taking a little respite, taking a little time back after their first journey. And verse 36 picks up, and there's some days we don't know how long it's been, but Paul goes to Barnabas and he says, hey, let's go, let's go back and visit those churches. Now, we, we forge relationships by shared experiences, right? So I remember in the um, early 2000s, I was a youth pastor, and so we take our kids, we try to expose our kids to a lot of things, take them to summer camp and take them to mission trips and take them to uh, see colleges and all this other kind of stuff. So we just tried to get them out there and get them seeing a lot of stuff. I'm telling you, two weeks before we take a trip, those kids are bickering and fighting and complaining. And then you take them on a trip. We, we fly down to Bolivia or something, spend 10 days in Bolivia doing, doing work, and it was tough. And somehow God compressed those relationships. And now on the bus or the flight home, they're hugging, they're singing songs, they're their best friends, because their relationship had gone through something that kind of pressed them in. Well, that's what took place with, between Paul and Barnabas on these trips and, and these guys in the churches. So these churches, these people were, were dear to their hearts. They were, they were close to them. They, they, had a, they had a special place in their hearts for these people. So you got to think, uh, you're planning a trip, they're planning a trip. Paul's telling Barnabas, and he's excited about it. He, he's anxious about it. He wants to go see these people because he, he cares for them deeply. And when, whenever you share something, whenever you share an idea or a thought, isn't it best when somebody, somebody gives back some of that excitement? Like, they're, they get excited about it, too. There's nothing worse than sharing, a, sharing an idea. Maybe you're, maybe you're this person where you've always got an invention for something. Like, you're like, man, this would be great if we had this, you know. And then you share it with somebody else, and they're like, yeah, that's, they've, they've already made that. Or nobody's really going to use that. Nobody's going to buy that. Stop. Okay? It's always better. That person is it's a little bit dejected. They shared their idea, they shared their thought, they shared their excitement. They want some excitement back. Well, Barnabas, in verse 37, he reciprocates some of the excitement. He's getting on board. And I can picture that they're sitting around talking about, hey, remember, remember this guy and this lady and this church, and let's go visit here. Remember that diner that we ate at here and this place? Well, let's stay away from there. They had some bad chicken. I mean, they, they were talking about the whole trip and, and what they could do and how they could plan and how they could get there. Barnabas is excited. He's reciprocating this excitement. And, and Paul's got to be feeling like, all right, this is, this is a good idea. You know, because sometimes you, you tell an idea, you just don't know if it's going to land well. But Barnabas is excited. So let's, okay, yes, this is going to happen. Let's go to visit these, these friends again. Let's visit these churches. 
Barnabas gets so excited that he kind of takes it upon himself to, to, to one-up a little bit, to say, hey, not only do we need to go visit here and here and see this and eat here and do that and go this route, hey, let's take John Mark with us. It's like the screeching of a, of a, of a record player stopping, which is a timely reference, by the way. That's the only thing that came to my mind, record player. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for your grace in that. Not even written down. Record player, okay. Barnabas says, uh, hey, let's take John Mark. Now, John Mark and Barnabas were related. Um, but this is, this is the point where things kind of go off the tracks. I mean, the train, train just goes off the tracks. The wheels come off. I mean, things are, it, it was going well. Hey, let's go here. Paul's excited. Barnabas receives it, reciprocates it, gets excited about it, starts planning it. As soon as he brings up John Mark, it's like, no, this is not going to go well. I think it's a good time. Remember the umbrella? Remember the, the main phrase that we, because I feel like here's some conflict coming. So we need to remind ourselves that God is at work providentially, even in times of conflict. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that before conflict. Sometimes we need to hear it during conflict. And sometimes we need to be reminded of it after conflict's done. Verse 38 picks up. We see the, the reason why there's conflict, okay? So Paul's excited. Barnabas is excited. John Mark gets mentioned. And then it just goes sideways. And Paul doesn't really beat around the bush. I don't know if you've read much of Paul. He's not, he's not really a shy guy. He, you're going to know where you stand with him. I just, I just appreciate Paul greatly. There's not much gray area with Paul. He just kind of speaks it the way it needs to be said. He goes right back to Acts chapter 13. If you remember from, it's got to be a month ago or more now, we were in Acts chapter 13, and, and they were on their first missionary journey, and they were in Pamphylia, and then John Mark leaves. We're not really told why he left. He just leaves. We don't know if he got sick. We don't know if uh, he, he, got, he got pulled into this because Barnabas is, is related to him, and so he, he's going on this uh, trip with, with Paul and with Barnabas, and it just wasn't what he expected. It, it makes me think of, um, so Jessica Jessica promote or, or ask for help with kids, for volunteers, for teachers. Some of you may say, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, some of you have said, yes, I'll, I'll do that. But you get into it and you're just like, man, this, this really isn't my thing. I don't, I don't enjoy it. I like my kids. I, I don't really like other people's kids. I probably shouldn't be serving here. It's okay. It's okay to step back from service. You, you're being obedient. You're saying, I'll do it. I'm willing. It's okay to step back. We don't different expectations, different thoughts. Hey, I thought this was going to play out differently. We don't, we don't know what John Mark was thinking. It could have been as simple as he was just homesick. I, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go home. In the late 90s, early 2000s, I was interning at a, at a church, and I remember it um, so vividly because it was so horrible. Um, and <laughs> not that not the ministry at the church. Uh, church was delightful. They, they loved me. The kids were great. Uh, the Lord was blessing the ministry there. But I stayed for a summer in like a 12 to 15 foot camper on some guy's goat farm. 
first of all, in the summer, that smells great. Second of all, I don't know why, but during the time that I was there, all the mama goats wanted to give birth to the baby goats. They just seemed fit to do it in the shade that my camper provided. It was miserable, to be honest. Ministry was good. It was okay. I was learning. I was young. Um, but it was miserable. I remember if it wasn't weekly, if it wasn't daily, it may have been weekly that I'd call Jen just weeping. I didn't want to be there. Lord was blessing it. Things were going well. It was received well. People liked me. It wasn't like, ah, nobody likes me here. I just want to go home. I'm homesick. So it could have been as simple as that. John Mark was just homesick. I don't know. We don't know. But he parted ways. He had left them. And so now Paul doesn't trust him to go again. Hey, you burnt me once. Why am I going to plan this trip? It's not an easy trip. Why am I going to take you with me? Could have been what Paul was saying. But Paul brings it up. He, he's brought up the trip. Hey, let's go on a second one. Barnabas is excited. He brings up John Mark. Everything stops then. Paul brings up the failure or the the desertion of John Mark with him from Acts chapter 13. And then Paul and Barnabas get into what they what they call here in the text a sharp disagreement. To, to say that they just had a disagreement would be a major understatement. This sharp disagreement gives the idea that there was violent action and strong emotion, which is odd because you don't think about uh, Paul and Barnabas, I don't think about, I don't think about Paul and Barnabas, okay, they are highly respected, men of God, they love Jesus, they've given their life in ministry for him, they're church planners, having violent action and strong emotion with each other, we don't know who flipped over tables, we don't know who was throwing punches, we know that it was violent though. We know that there was a sharp disagreement. Now, we can get hung up on the fact that, that Paul and Barnabas has now taken a, a notch down, a step down in our, in our mind, in our respect level, because uh, really, you shouldn't act like that. But can I remind you that conflict is no respecter of persons. It comes to us all. How quickly we can find ourselves in conflict we don't know who stormed out we don't know who slammed doors scholars have even much smarter people have debated this for a long time I can side with both of them I can see both sides of it Kent Hughes says our judgment goes with Paul but our heart goes with Barnabas. And I can get there. I, I know exactly what he's talking about. I know what ex exactly Kent is talking about there. Because in my mind, the practical side of me, the guy that, that does the spreadsheets or going away for a couple days, count socks, I can see that's not a wise move. That's not a good plan. It didn't work before. I'm sorry, but you're just not the guy. We'll go somewhere else. We'll pick somebody else. Paul has felt abandoned. He's been let down. Here he is trying to include somebody. He's trying to invest. How, how hard is it on a person like Paul to include other people? I'm sure he struggled with it. 
Sometimes it's just easier to do it yourself. You just stay up a little bit longer. You work a little bit harder. You don't have to worry yourself with how other people are going to let you down. So maybe Paul is dealing with that. He's been abandoned and frustrated by John Mark once. I don't need that again. There's too much at stake. And he could have flipped it and made it sound positive. Like, hey, we're, this is too high of a calling. Maybe God's got something else for John Mark. Something lower. Maybe he can go help with the whatever. I'd feel frustrated like Paul. But who wouldn't want to side with Barnabas? Think about Barnabas. Barnabas gave wants to give John Mark another chance. I'll be at the front of the line. We all need second chances. I don't stand here today because I'm so refined and so I've got it so together that God can use me to explain a passage of Scripture or to shepherd people throughout the week or it's not it I stand before you a flawed and failed man time and time and time again and in the in the in the quietness of my office this week if I had to wrestle with should I even be talking about this because really John Mark looks pretty good compared to me but for some reason God keeps giving me second chances for some reason there's been people in my life that have seen fit to invest or give open up a door for me and give me a second chance I believe the same the, the case is the same with you if you think back in your mind you deserve well anything no we all want we all need a second chance and Barnabas is trying to give that to John Mark I wonder if Paul thought about Acts chapter 9 just scroll back to your left Acts chapter 9 is the account of when uh, just after Saul's conversion Saul now Paul his name got changed just after Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9 verse 26 it says and when he, he had come to Jerusalem this is Saul then of Paul about it he was not shy about it he didn't have some like hidden prejudice he hated them and so he's now a follower of Christ which is a tough pill to swallow if you've been on the receiving end of his wrath right if you've seen him treat Christians in a way that is less than ideal he, well he comes to Jerusalem he attempted to join the disciples it says and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They're like, nope, nope, this guy, this, uh, no. But Barnabas took him. See that in verse 27? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Gave him a chance. Barnabas went to, went to bat for him. Barnabas vouched for him. Hey, God's, God's done something unique. God has changed this guy's life. I know what you've heard. God has changed his life. As a result, what happened? So he went in and out. This is speaking of Paul. Went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He got a chance. He got a second chance at life. He can, he can now go and minister. Doors were open. And so Barnabas looks at John Mark and says, yeah, Acts chapter 13, Pamphylia. Yeah, that's, that wasn't a good move, John Mark. Let's give him another chance, Paul. 
did Paul think about it? I don't know. Seems kind of hypocritical when you understand Acts chapter 9 and you think about how Paul treated John Mark. There was a, there was a part in my study this week that I had to close my Bible and close my notes and kind of push away from the desk and say, man, this is not fair. It's not right. He shouldn't have been treated that way. Nonetheless, we aren't given the outcome of the argument. Who won? Who lost? We just see the results. Verse 39 through 41 says that they separated. Paul chose his teammate. His new teammate was Silas. And he left. An interesting little three, three or four words there says that he left in like good standing. He left with a backing. He left, which tells me, it tells me that during that conflict or after that conflict, there wasn't mudslinging, there wasn't defaming of the other person in public. Hey, let's have this, this disagreement. Now, people knew that they disagreed, undoubtedly, because why in the world is Paul and Barnabas not together anymore? But the result was they left in good standing. And what flowed from Paul and Silas now, churches were strengthened. They were rendered firm and established. So that sharp conflict, because of the way that God was so providentially working, brought about the ultimate good. His, his name was glorified. The churches were strengthened and built up. So Paul takes Silas. Barnabas takes John Mark. John Mark and Barnabas head to Cyprus. Paul and Silas head out on their, their journey to, to make the circuit again. And if you quickly read past it, then you're going to miss the fact that Paul had in mind one trip with Barnabas. But now because God was so providentially working in the times of that conflict, now you have two trips. You have two teams going out. He multiplied the effort. He multiplied the work that could get done. Even through their conflict, so that the gospel could be spread, churches could be encouraged, but ultimately that glory could be brought to his name. All along so far, all along I can hear like the little whispers, the peppering of the whispers of God. And him leaning in and saying, hey, I'm at work wise and purposeful way that you don't fully understand yet. I'm at work here. Chapter 16, Paul gets to Lystra and he meets a young man named Timothy. And Timothy and his mother and grandmother are the fruit of the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas had gone and, and as a result of their efforts to spread the gospel and plant churches, Timothy comes to Christ. All along the way, Paul is passing out the Jerusalem Council's Letter And this letter was basically saying that there is no plus to salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. There's not salvation plus circumcision, namely here in the council's letter. They'd settled that argument. Now Timothy, is, Timothy arrives. He comes into the picture. A little bit on Timothy. He was half Jew, it says, and, and half Greek. His dad was a Greek. And his mom was Jewish, so according to rabbinic law, he should have been raised Jewish. So as a child, as a boy, he should have been circumcised. But he wasn't. The people around him knew, we see that in verse, chap verse 2 of chapter 16, 
They knew who Timothy was. He had a good reputation in the area. They knew how he was raised. His dad was Greek and his mom was Jewish. He wasn't raised right, not according to the Jewish law. But now he's a believer in Jesus. Salvation is the fruit of Paul's efforts, well spoken of by the brothers, it says. Now, Paul, Paul, you got to envision, Paul is the teacher and Timothy is the student. And so, what I've found is, or what I believe is here, Paul had these thoughts and the way that he lived his life. And we see them in some of his other writings. Namely, I, I want to bring up 1 Corinthians chapter 9, because I think it formed how Paul did ministry, how he viewed ministry, how he viewed his life and how he should live. It reminds me of, um, I used to work with this older guy. He lives out in the middle part of the state, and he had a real thick, heavy southern draw. So much so that if I talked to him on the phone and then went in and talked to my family, they would identify that I had been talking to him because I would start to talk like him say words that I don't normally say, start to draw them out in a way that I just kind of mush, you know, the southern way, just kind of mush some words together, and you know what I meant. I spent a lot of time with my mentor, and over the years, just the way that he's lived his life has helped form and shape the way I think, things that I believe, the way I speak, the way I interact with people so I got to think that whether it's the draw of Paul when he's talking like my buddy in the middle part of the state or or forming of how Timothy views ministry or how he should live his life just because he's watched the teacher he's watched Paul live his life he's heard Paul talk about these things it's had an impact that it's had an influence first Corinthians 9 beginning in verse 12, the second half of verse 12, it says, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So this is the, this is the pounding of the drum for Paul. This is how he lived his life. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'll get rid of something I may have the freedom of the freedom to do in my life if that means it's going to remove an obstacle for this person to know Christ. And so here we find that Timothy's got a good reputation, but he, has, he wasn't raised in, um, to, as a Jew, and so now the fact that he's not circumcised is going to hinder his ministry. It's going to be an obstacle with other Jews to, to minister with other Jews. And so Paul says, you need to be circumcised. So seeing and understanding the mindset of ministry that Paul had, Timothy chooses to be 
circumstances. He chose not to be a hindrance or an obstacle to the gospel. Well, just as the conflict in the relationships with Paul and Barnabas and how God was at work in a wise and purposeful way resulted in God's name being glorified, churches being strengthened. So here you have the obedience of Timothy doing whatever it took, being whatever he needed to be to reach one. It says in verse 5 that the churches were strengthened in their faith and increased in numbers daily. A spiritual and numerical growth. So just by this simple act that Timothy was willing to go through, these churches were strengthened. It points us, this word points us back to Acts chapter 3. Remember Acts chapter 3 from months ago where the beggar, the, the paralytic beggar was, was sitting outside the, the gate. And when he's healed and he gets up and he runs and he's proclaiming, you know, what has happened to him, it says that his joints, his, his legs were strengthened. He could stand, he could walk, he'd be, he could be about, on, be on mission of telling about what has happened to him. So as a result of Timothy's obedience here, we see that, that the, the churches grew, people grew in their faith, they were strengthened. Their joints, their legs were shored up for future mission and future ministry. While circumcision was not ultimately required, it was ultimately best for the sake of reaching some. God is providentially at work in times of conflict. Whether it's conflict of relationship or seeming conflict of requirements. Do we have to be circumcised? Do we not? God is at work. So we come to the end of our time. We come to the end of our passage. I'm going to ask you to do three things. These are three things when I look at Scripture, when I study Scripture, these are three of the things that I try to apply and try to try, try to work out in the process of the scripture one is to focus up acts is an upward focused book they looked up they went up they gazed up upward focus our, our lives should be upward focused what did god do we ask what did god do what did god do in this passage well we've seen we can see and we have seen that God was at work providentially to bring about his purpose for Paul, for Barnabas, even for John Mark. John Mark, the one that nobody wanted to give a second chance except for Barnabas, right? Paul wanted to discard, but he was not discarded by God. He was the same guy that God would end up using to write the gospel of Mark. He still had value. He still had purpose. He still had a plan. God had a plan for John Mark. And in the process of trying to figure out, what does God want me to do? Yeah, he went on a trip. He went on a journey that wasn't the right fit for him. And for whatever reason, he pulled out of that. But God still used him. It comes full circle in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I believe it's in verse 11. We're at the end of Paul's days. You know who Paul asked to see? Hey, bring with you. Send him to me. He has great value to me. John Mark. Nobody's discarded. You may think that conflict and brokenness disqualifies you, but God is at work 
providentially in a wise and purposeful way to bring about glory to his name and joy and good for you, his children. We need to focus up. What did God do here in this passage? Instead of one missionary journey, we got two. We got two teams. We see how hurdles were taken away. This hurdle of circumcision was taken away to reach a group of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simple obedience brought about strengthening and shoring up the foundation of believers. So we focus up. We also focus in. What should I do? What should I learn and hold on to, rather? Focus in. I need to learn when I read this passage. You need to learn when you read this passage that God is at work providentially in a wise and purposeful way to bring about his purposes for you but not to make your life better not to make it easier not to make it more simplistic not to just figure out all the wrinkles that you created oh god's gonna god's at work to just iron all that stuff out no ultimately to glorify him so if you have to go through some pain if you have to go through some hard times then so be it because i'll do whatever it takes right and that Paul says, do whatever it takes. I'll sacrifice my liberty. I'll sacrifice my freedom. I'll sacrifice me and my convenience that one might be reached. This is a reminder that believers can have a disagreement and conflict. It's not always right. This passage, don't use this passage as just your justification. Honey, we're fighting. It's biblical. not always justified but it can be good to work through issues if on the end of it the end result is god's name is glorified you have to work through two broken people coming together right that's what marriage is and trying to live as one so in that process there's going to be some conflict but let your purpose and your plan at the at the onset, the beginning, or the middle of the conflict, that God's name is going to be glorified. If I have to die to myself, if I have to lay it all on the line, if I have to compromise what I think is, is best for me for the sake of the gospel and for the name of our God, then I'll do that. So we're going to focus up, we're going to focus in, and then we're going to focus out. What should I give myself to? What should I apply? What should you apply from this passage? Or what should you give away? It's all outward focus, right? So what should I be doing or what should I be giving away to somebody else? I believe we got to pause here and say, uh, to the best of your ability, you should make right any conflicts in your life. That would be most glorifying to God, most glorifying to the name of our Savior, is that you would resolve as, as much as you can, as it pertains to you, resolve any conflict that you have. And that is way more difficult than just that little phrase alone. Because the pain is real and the disappointment is real. And the betrayal is real. I'm sad to say that I think conflicts are easily turned personal. When we're in the midst of conflict, we say something and it goes way too far. Because if you're having conflict with somebody, especially spouse, family member, loved one, you know what buttons to push. Sometimes it, it goes too far, it turns too personal. 
but Kirk's too petty. You didn't really have to say that. Did you really have to talk about the fact that I came in second in sixth grade, right? Really? I mean, just really you want to... It also can be prolonged. Anybody got got that friend? Man, I ain't talked to that boy in years. And then you start thinking about it. Oh, yeah, it's because we had a disagreement. And it seems really minuscule now. But there's that conflict between you. I believe the passage I would call you to resolve that conflict. It'll seem weird to call a guy you ain't talked to in years to confess and own brokenness in your relationship from high school or whatever it may be. Do it that God's name might be glorified. You should extend grace, the same grace to others that's been extended to you. You should seek forgiveness when you have wronged or when you have been wronged. I got to say, this is, I tell you, I, I speak from a flawed place, from a, from a broken place. And God has glued and mended <laughs> all the cracks. It, it was a couple months ago that one of my boys came to me and said, you know, hey, you walked us through this because we're, we're good parents, right? We, we walked our kids through how to have conflict. All right, this is, all right, you're obviously fighting. Let's walk through this process to, to seek forgiveness and to be forgiven. Use these words and say these things. And one of my boys looks at me and says, I don't hear you doing that. Yeah. Yeah, my first response was, uh, hey, you need to go to your room. Because I'm the dad and you can't be right. All right. That's not the case. If God is so providentially at work in a wise and purposeful way during times of conflict, we need to be willing to do and be whatever it takes to be and do. That his name might be glorified. There's a poem that's a couple hundred years old. I believe it properly forms our focus and we'll close with this. Because our focus needs to be changed. Our focus can't be on the fact that, you know, of the conflict or of the response or how they treated you or how they treated or how I treated them. We need to understand that God is so at work providentially. Bring glory to his name. I need to submit to that. As I focus up, focus in, and focus out, I need to be reminded that of this poem. It says, He leadeth me, O blessed thought, the words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whatever I do, wherever I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me. By his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be by his hand. He leadeth me. You need to know that God is so providentially at work. He is wise and purposeful in his work. Even in the midst of your conflict, 
to bring about glory to His name. That you might find joy. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, our time has been short. It's gone by quickly. But your spirit has been faithful to illumine our eyes, to, for us to see the, the beauty and the truth that's found in your scripture. And God, we praise you for being at work even when we don't see it. We praise you for being wise and purposeful in how you work, even in the midst of conflict. God, we pray that you give us the strength to submit to your spirit, obey your word, that you might bring glory to your name and make much of you. We pray this through your son's name.